That's funny no matter how many times you watch it. It's just funny. It's funny and there's laughter. It's laughter of familiarity because I think all of us have either been asked to pray and we're a little unsure of, hey, what exactly am I supposed to pray? Or we've been in that living room and, you know, we're kind of looking at our cousin like, what are they doing right now? Right, we've been there before. I think there's confusion and anxiety around prayer. Much like I experienced when I was a senior in high school, I was asked to pray before our home uh, football game. And, um, and quite candidly, I was terrified. It just didn't really hit me until I was in the press box and the lights were on and I looked down below and there's thousands of people and they hand me a microphone. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, <laughs> What am I supposed to pray right now? Who's listening to me? Everybody I know. And what if I get it wrong? I get that. Have you ever wondered, hey, how are we supposed to pray? I think there's confusion. And so um, what we've done is we've kind of taught one another how to pray. We've picked up on phrases. You're familiar with some of these, right? Before we uh, get in the car or have a long road trip, we're going to pray for traveling mercies, we've learned that phrase. Whenever we're a little nervous or praying for safety, we pray for that, that hedge of protection, you know, that fearful dreaded bush, right? Um, you know, or before meals, we've got the little, we all have this down, bless this food to the nourish for our bodies and our bodies to your service. If you wanna go an extra step and sound really spiritual, you can pray for the hands that have prepared it. You know what I'm talking about. Or if we're uh, really unsure and nervous about what to pray, we just throw in a lot of God our Father, God our Father, God our Father, we just, and we just, would you bless my friend Jeff, God, God our Father, Jeff, bless him, bless him. We really don't know what we're praying, we don't even know if God were to answer that prayer, we're just blessing God our Father. Or uh, my favorite, Lord, just be with Jeff. I think God's omnipresent. When is God not with Jeff? So what are we really praying when we pray that way? I, listen, I get it. I get it. I've been in that room. I've, helped, I've felt that anxiety. And so today we are looking at the Lord's Prayer. We are continuing our series, uh, Summer on the Mount. So really, this is an opportunity for us to look at the Sermon on the Mount, one of five messages that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. Um, and so if you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. It is, uh, we're gonna look where Jesus instructs us. He teaches us how to pray. Now you remember from the weeks past that uh, the Sermon on the Mount, to set this contextually, it, is, it teaches a kingdom ethic for a kingdom people. It describes the character of a true disciple, not the requirements to become one. Let me say that again. It describes the character of a true disciple, not the requirements to become one. Jesus is gonna be really clear. He's, he's gonna say, hey, listen, um, I'm not impressed with your religious external performance. I'm more concerned with the condition of your heart. I wanna have a relationship with you, but what you first must understand, he begins the sermon with, is blessed are the poor in spirit. Meaning, blessed are those who recognize that there are sinful people, a rebellious people, a need of grace. 
Jesus makes it clear that his standard is perfection. He tells us we're to be holy. So our Father in heaven is holy, holy, but we all know that there's, there's no way we can attain to that. And he just shows how ridiculous it is to think that through our external behavior that somehow we can impress God when we have such a broken heart bent on pride and selfishness. Last week, John did a good job of, of just pointing out in Matthew chapter six, the, the first part that the Pharisees here were trying to impress God by their, by their giving, by their fasting, by their religious deeds. They would look at those around them and kind of measure themselves, kind of like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. Look at me, God, look at me. And it's here we pick it up that Jesus addresses prayer. And what he says is, he says, don't pray like that. Don't be like the Pharisees. Look at verses five and six. He says that when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. That's their motive. Not to relate to the Father, but to impress other people. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Your father who sees in secret, he's gonna reward you. When you pray, don't pray to impress. Don't pray like the Pharisees. And when you pray, don't pray like the Gentiles. Picks it up in verses seven and eight. And when you pray, don't, don't heap, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they're gonna be heard for their many words. Those empty phrases, it's kind of like, you know, what we just talked about. These phrases that we use in prayer and we think that if we just repeat these, that, that somehow this is gonna coerce or obligate God and nothing can be further from the truth. Or we just pray for a long time. We use many words and we think somehow that's gonna obligate God. And, and Jesus is going, hey, don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. And it's crazy that within this context of what he just said, how not to pray, we're gonna find the Lord's Prayer. Because think about how, what we've done with the Lord's Prayer. We, we have used it in such a way as that now we can just say it. If you grew up in church, perhaps a, a more formal tradition, you've memorized the Lord's Prayer. Or man, if you just even grew up in Texas and played high school football, you, you, you had your, your coach cuss you out because of how poorly you played, right? And then he ends it with, all right, man, let's gather, let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, the will be done. We just, we just, we say it like it's a magic prayer. And it's not a magic prayer, it's a model prayer. The Lord's prayer is not a magic prayer. It's a model prayer. And look how instructive verse eight is. It says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Now think about that. That really does give insight into what the purpose of prayer is, right? People ask me all the time, if God's sovereign, which means he's all-powerful, if he's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, why should we pray? And the answer is really simple. It's to have a relationship with the Father. That's why we pray. God's clear, Jesus is clear. He, it's not like he's stumped. He doesn't know what we need. He just says that right there in verse eight. He, yes, he knows what we need. But like a good, loving father, he invites us. He says, hey, come to me. 
And then he teaches us how to pray. And he gives us this model. And you're gonna see that real simply, that when you think about prayer and you wanna know how to pray, first remind yourself of who God is, verses nine and 10. And then secondly, you wanna remind yourself of your dependence upon him, verses 11 through 13. Let's just read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Tim Keller has said this about this prayer. He said, hey, it is so familiar we can no longer hear it. Yet everything we need is written within it. It is true that each petition in this prayer is a theology lesson in and of itself. And I hope to point that out today. Let's look at verse nine. It just simply begins, our Father in heaven. And and I wanna stop and, and just point out how it begins with the word our and how strange that is to us. If you look at the whole prayer, you will Notice that you don't see the words I, me, my, or mine throughout the whole prayer. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. Jesus instructs us that we begin with our, with a recognition that when we come into a relationship with Christ, gang, we enter into a relationship with the family of God. And that is the point. We, we are so, uh, we, have a, we have such a skewed, unbiblical mindset that, that we, we live with this kind of Jesus in me, privatized faith, which is just unbiblical. We, we kind of we give the nod sometimes to church membership because we really wanna do what we wanna do. You know, Newsweek picked up on this. This is the, the front cover of a Newsweek. Hey, forget the church, just follow Jesus. That's exactly what my waitress said to me one day. She says, oh, listen, I, I love Jesus. I, I just don't really, I don't, I don't really do the whole church thing. I really don't care about the church. To which I just said, hey, listen, how do you think my wife would have responded had I said to her, hey, you know what? I love you, Rebecca. I wanna spend the rest of my life with you. I just don't want to deal at all with your family. That probably would not have gone over well. But that's in a sense what we're doing. Because when we come into a relationship with God through the Son, we are adopted into a family to use the language of Galatians 4. This isn't my language. Romans 12 talks about how we are now individual members of a body. We're part of a family. And we get to address God as our father. Now recognize though, and this is really, really important, we are not able to call God our father by virtue of the fact that we are simply created by God. Not everybody gets to address God as father. 
We address God as Father when we are rightly related to him through the Son. John Calvin, the great reformer, he said it like this, to call God Father is to pray in Jesus' name. And, and, you know, we can read this from a couple of different perspectives. I'd always read this as a kid. I would read it from the perspective as a son looking up to the Father. And it has been rightly observed that, you know, we, we do, we, we start to inform our perception of God the Father through our relationship we have with our earthly dads. I, I was blessed. I don't have a perfect dad by any means. But I was blessed to grow up where I often heard that from my dad that he loved me, that he was proud of me. And when I heard that there's a God in heaven who loved me, it was just a little easier for me to believe. But I recognize that's not true for a lot of us. And when we think of God as Father, that doesn't bring strength or comfort or confidence or peace. It brings bitterness and resentment and hurt, anger, feelings of betrayal. Because we've had dads who have hurt us, who have broken up homes. And just to think about God as father, it just seems like to be a disconnect. And what I tell you, it's been rightly said that God is not the reflection of your earthly father, but the perfection of your earthly father. Growing up, I read this as the perspective of a son, but now I read it really differently. I'm I'm a dad. I have four kids, I have three girls and a boy. And I really do believe that God, what he has done is he allows us to be parents just to give us just a small glimpse of his love for us. Because there's just no way I could describe to you, unless you're a parent, my love for my four kids. And the Bible says that, that my love for my kids pales in comparison pales in comparison to God's love for us. I mean, I know I'm supposed to check. Yes, God loves my kids more than I do. But experientially, emotionally, I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe he loves them as much. I love my four kids. When my son was four, um, he was very sick, and we'd spend a lot of time in the hospital, and, and, um, and I, I, I would carry him around a lot, one, because he was weak, two, because he wasn't all that heavy, but three, he just wanted to be near me. And, um, you know, usually when you leave the room, they, they want to wheel you around, and, and my son Gage, he, was, he, he wanted me to hold him. And so I, I would just carry Gage everywhere, and and I got used to his arms wrapped around my shoulders and walking the, right to an infusion room or to an exam room to go get an x-ray. And he should, I just carried him everywhere. And this one particular day, I knew that he needed surgery and was trying to explain to him, hey, we're gonna go when we get to these, these big doors are gonna open. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to let go of you and you're gonna, you're gonna need to let go of my neck. And I remember, I mean, I remember to this day how his arms were locked around my neck like that. And we finally get to those double doors, you know, and all the kind of scary people come out there to receive him. And, and I'm just literally just pushing him like, hey, Gage, you gotta let go of me. And I could feel his arms start to do that. And he's just looking like that. And I mean, and it crushed me. 
I knew he needed the surgery. I knew that it, it was the right thing to do, but it gave me a glimpse of the love of the Father. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And here's the crazy thing. God shows us that he loves us so much that, that he sent his one and only son to pay the penalty for our sin, to, buy, to, to die the death that we deserved, to be buried and three days later to rise again. Such that if we trust in what he's done for us and his provision, we can now be rightly related to the Father and call him Father. We call God Father. It's amazing. It teaches us that, that God is not aloof, he's not uncaring, he's not distant, but he's relational and he loves us. The prayer is our Father in heaven. He's not just relational, he's not just imminent. He's transcendent. Psalm 115.3 says, the God's in the heavens. He, he does whatever he pleases. Isn't that amazing that the God who's in the heavens who does whatever he pleases, creator of heaven and earth, the one who is in heaven, cares about you and me, invites us to pray. How crazy is that? The fact that it says our Father in heaven, the point is not necessarily where he dwells, but his sovereignty, his divine perspective, his authority. Philip Yancey rightly said, he said, prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. We are acknowledging that there is a God who is in heaven, who is sovereign, who's creator, and who has a perspective we can't have, we have a limited perspective. But praise God who is sovereign and all-knowing. He's in heaven, he knows what we need, and invites us to pray. When we pray, we remind ourselves of who God is. I just returned home from, from the beach. I love to go to the beach. And uh, there's something about just the power of the ocean. And oftentimes I'll wake up before my family, before most anyone, and just race down to the beach early in the morning just to read. And I, and I like to just get in the ocean, right? And just allow, just, just float in the waves. And I just look up and it, it just brings wonder and astonishment. And it reminds me of just how small I really am. <laughs> that no matter how hard I try, I am not in control. I am not in control. But I'm vulnerable and I'm in need and I worship the God who created heaven and earth, who spoke this earth into existence, who controls the seas, who's numbered the stars. That's crazy. And he says, I can come to him in prayer and call him father. Verse nine goes on and says, hallowed be your name. You know, this is, the word hallowed, candidly, is it's kind of a funny word, isn't it? Feels ghostly almost. What does that mean? Well, what we're praying here is, is not that, we're not in fear that somehow God is no longer to remain holy and we're begging him, hey, stay holy. That's not what we're praying. What we're praying here is we're saying, um, we're asking that his holiness would be made evident in our lives. Lord, may, may your holiness and may your glory be seen. 
by how I live, by how I treat others. Help me to make your name famous. It's not about my name. It's not about promoting my platform, my reputation, my advancement, and what others think of me. No, 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 Lord. May your name be holy. May your name be great such that others would want to know you. Remember the beginning of the Sermon on Mount, live like salt and light. Live in such a way that others may see your good deeds and give glory to God who's in heaven. It's all consistent right here. Hallowed be your name, God. Al Mohler, the, the president of Southern Seminary, who wrote an excellent book on the Lord's Prayer, which I commend to you. He said, our ultimate concern is not that our lives be comfortable, but that God be glorified. And that our lives, even our prayers, put God's glory on display. Our ultimate concern is not that our lives be comfortable, but that God be glorified. Hallowed be your name. May I live in such a way as to give God glory. Because how we live is a reflection of what we believe about God. And is a witness to other people. I have... Um, Two older brothers, one who's nine years older than me and then one who's eight years older than me, roughly. And, um, and just growing up through school, we went through the same school district and, and uh, oftentimes would have the same teachers. One of my brothers, he did, he did really well in school. And um, politically, how do I say this to my other brother? He had a lot of fun in school, right? Uh, he didn't do as well maybe as the other one. And so whenever I got my class scheduled, I was always kind of banking on, hey, give me the, the teacher who had my smart brother. Uh, not the one who always had so much fun, but there I am in eighth grade, it catches up to me. I enter into uh, Wanda Spoonmore's class and I knew who Wanda was because I'd always heard the story, but I was like, hey, you know what? It's eight years later, Wanda ain't gonna remember this. She's not gonna remember my brother, but there we are. And Goes sit in class since the first day, and she calls roll. Holmes, this ma'am here, Holmes, you don't happen to be related to, doesn't forget, uh, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. I wanted to say a very distant cousin. <laughs> and, uh, but I look like him, I sound like him. You must be his brother. Yes, ma'am. You know what your brother did to me? Uh, no, ma'am. I lied. Yes, I knew. See, Wanda had a, uh, she had a little policy in her class. Sure, when you had trash, you could, you could wad it up and you could throw it at the trash can. But here's the problem. If, if you miss, then she made a habit of grabbing the trash can and thought it was really funny to take that trash and walk it over to you and then dump the trash all over your head. And uh, you can't get away with stuff like that anymore. <laughs> School is not as fun today as it was then. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally had, my coach had a palm leaf, and I mean, whack, I mean, anyway. All right, so I, uh, it was all good. I'm still here, I'm alive, it was all good. But anyway, back to the point. Uh, but she, she dumped the trash on my brother's head. And uh, of course, the class laughs, and you know, he laughs, kinda, I think. And uh, well, you know, a few days later, there's Wanda working at her desk, and uh, 
throws it, and she misses. Yep, yep. My brother, you do it again today. Picks out the trash can, walks over from the whole class, dumps it over her head, but this time leaves the trash can on her shoulders. True story, true story. And so when I entered Wanda Spoonmore's class, yes ma'am, I'm his brother, I recognized for the first time what a good name or bad name may bring. And gang, that's, that's what we're, that's the whole point here. Hallowed be your name. May I live in such a way that when people think of me, they would wanna give glory, they would wanna give thanks to the Father who's in heaven. May my, may my actions be consistent with your word that I don't make it hard for people to believe that there's a God in heaven who loves me. That they don't look at me as being hypocritical. But they'd wanna know you. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. This is an acknowledgement that this kingdom, this world is broken. And really, what we're praying for is a revolution such that the kingdom of this world would give way to the kingdom of God. That's really what we're praying for. And we know this will ultimately occur when Christ returns. I think there's a reason why we love superhero movies. We love superhero movies because we know this world is broken and we love the very end when the superhero flies in and he makes right all of the wrongs. And we, when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, it is a cry that this world's broken. It's upside down. Come and make it right. Verse 10 ends with, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done. You see, the will of God is understood in two ways. The sovereign will of God and the revealed will of God. The sovereign will of God, nothing's gonna thwart that. But the revealed will of God, his word, his instruction to us, we're saying, Lord, I'm submitting myself to your sovereign will. I'm acknowledging that, hey, I need your help. You are, your, you are my authority. Your word is true. May your will be done in my life, not my will. I no longer want to try to drive or control my circumstances. I trust you. But you're never going to say that prayer. You're never going to say, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if you don't know and trust the Father. And this is what's so important. If you've tuned out, then I, I, want you to, I want you to come back. And I want you to hear me when I say this because this is so vitally important. As we believe, so we pray. As we believe, so we pray. How you doing? What does your prayer life suggest you believe about God? You see, if you just come to God with your list, hey God, uh, can you give me health, wealth, prosperity, a good job, 
a wife who loves me? Can you give me, can you give me, can you give me? It suggests a lot about what you believe about God. He's not your personal genie who's obligated to fulfill every one of your wishes. He knows what you need. He's creator of heaven and earth. And with presumption, we just come in like, hey God, do what I tell you to do. As we believe, so we pray. When was the last time you spent time simply not asking God of anything, but you just confessed? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. If confession is, is something that's not a part of your prayer life, and then I would suggest to you, then pride is ruling your heart. Pride is ru- ruling in your heart. If there is no thanksgiving in your prayers, what does that reveal about your relationship with God? About the selfishness, the greed that has captured you? Moeller goes on, he says this, our prayers reveal our deepest convictions about God, about ourselves, and about the world around us. Every word we utter in prayer, every idea and concept that we form as we pray, and every emotion that flows out of our heart is a reflection of what we believe about God and about the gospel of Christ. You see, when we pray, verses nine and 10, chapter six, nine and 10, first thing we do is we remind ourselves our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we remind ourselves of who God is. And then secondly, what we do is we remind ourselves of our dependence upon him, verses 11 through 13. In this amazing, it says, give us this day our daily bread. See, God's not only concerned with advancing his kingdom, but with our daily needs. The daily bread is a metaphor for our daily necessities. God cares about your daily needs. The very one who spoke this earth into existence, the one who is holy, the one who is sovereign, the one who is all-knowing, he cares about what you need. He knows you. That's amazing to me. God didn't have to create this world in color and give us oceans and sunsets and joy and good food. Every good gift comes from God above. Notice it says, give us this day our daily bread. And this just points out to the fact that we are to consistently rely upon God. Not just in times of tragedy do we go to him in prayer, but daily And our physical hunger, gang, is a reminder to us of the spiritual reality that we are a people who are dependent upon God. That's why Jesus said, hey, man doesn't live by bread alone. But by doing the will of the Father, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He's giving you a hint every day, three times a day. Right, we choose to eat a meal. And when we skip a meal or two meals, we become hangry. And we become angry and hungry. We become hangry. And it's a reminder to us, hey, you know what? Try going without food for a long period of time and you'll recognize how weak and how vulnerable you really are. 
You weren't created to just make it on your own. But every day we rely upon God, who is good, who is our Father. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as also we have forgiven our debtors. We move from our most urgent physical need, bread, to our most urgent spiritual need, forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, when we experience God's forgiveness, we are to become forgiving people. You can just, we don't have time to go there, but just write down Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35. Read what Jesus says about we who have been forgiven. And if we truly understand that, then of course we're willing then to forgive those who have hurt us because we've been forgiven such an incredible debt. It's inconsistent to think that we who have been forgiven much would then withhold forgiveness from those who hurt us. Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you and forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, when I'm at odds with my wife and I feel just anger or bitterness and I'm reluctant to forgive, I don't have a marital problem. I don't have a communication problem. I have a gospel problem. I have a spiritual problem. I'm failing to realize what it means to walk as Jesus intended. It's just assumed that when we experience God's forgiveness, we are to become a forgiving people. That's why you see right after the prayer in verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Verse 13, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from Evil. If you know your Bible, James 1.13 says, hey, God doesn't tempt us to sin. This, this prayer, when we read this and lead us not in temptation, it's not that we're begging him to go, don't go back on your word, your promise of James 1. We gotta read it in light of the latter part. But deliver us from evil. Probably the right translation, the, the better translation is in deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. You see, in our Western society, in our materialistic world, in our sophistication and all of our learning, it's like we just skip Ephesians 6, which speaks of spiritual warfare. Forget about 1 Peter 5, verse 8, which tells us very, very explicitly, you have an adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what you have. You have an enemy, and I have an enemy. Jesus spoke often about the enemy. He said he came to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the accuser of the brethren. And Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you pray and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We don't resist temptation by our own willpower, our own discipline, our own strength. Oh, this time, I really mean it. I'm gonna do it this way. I'm just gonna try harder. No. We go to the Father who loves us, who knows our every need, who's in heaven, 
We look to make his name holy. We rely upon him for our daily needs. We ask him to forgive us for when we fall short. And we look to him to give us strength when we're tempted. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, and he'll give you the strength, right? What? To escape the temptation. If you will look to him. James says, if you resist the devil, if you cling to God and resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But we don't muster up the courage by our own efforts. We look to the Father for help. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what your temptations are. But, cl- but please, please quit hiding and thinking you can manage it on your own. Please quit trying to just be more disciplined. It's just gonna lead to more hurt. You surrender to God. You go to him in prayer. You trust his word. You surround yourself with the, the family of God. You're gonna notice here that, that what is missing in your ESV translation or other reliable translations is, is the phrase, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the reason for that is, is although we may have memorized, many of us may have memorized that, the reason for that is, is our earliest, most reliable um, scrolls don't have that phrase. So it's, it's believed that the scribes later probably added that. And so um, if that freaks you out, brings confusion, worry, or doubt about the reliability of the text, don't let it. Shameless plug, I invite you to take our core class, Discovering Scripture, and have your faith strengthened and your confidence strengthened in the reliability of God's Word and why we can trust it. We remind ourselves of who God is and then we remind ourselves of our dependence upon him. We ask for the daily bread. We we ask for his forgiveness. We ask that he lead us, not allow us to be led in temptation but delivered from the evil one. John Stott, the English theologian, he says, the three petitions which Jesus puts on our lips are beautifully comprehensive. They cover in principle all our human need material, daily bread, spiritual forgiveness of sins, and moral deliverance from evil. What we are doing whenever we pray this prayer is to express our dependence upon God in every area of our human life. Moreover, a Trinitarian Christian is bound to see in these three petitions a veiled allusion to the Trinity. I love this. Since it is through the Father's creation and providence that we receive our daily bread, through the Son's atoning death that we may be forgiven, and through the Spirit's indwelling power that we are rescued from the evil one. When my uh, uh, daughter, when, who's now 18, but uh, when she was real little, the first word she learned was, me mommy, me mommy. So she'd wake up every morning and, and often, you know, before the morning, uh, and scream real loud, me, mommy, me, mommy. And uh, 
you know, my wife would hit me, hey, she's calling you, you know. I hear me mommy, I hear me mommy, I think she's calling you, right? And, uh, and really, we knew what she needed. We all know what she's saying. Right, hey, I need to be fed, I need to be changed, and I need to be helped. And I, I loved it. I really did, because I'd go in there, and she's standing, you know, in her crib doing this, like, come get me. And I loved it because I was her dad. And I just wanted to hold her. We pray, gang, not, not to obligate God, coerce God, impress God. We pray to have a relationship with God. Or we just go to him, we just recognize, you're the one who can fulfill my needs. You're the one who knows my needs. Me, Father, help me. This world's not as it should be. It's broken. And you're the hope, and you're the one who provides life, the way, the truth, and the life. So I just call to you. In closing, the Lord's prayer has been described as this. This prayer is dangerous, overturning the kingdom of the principalities and powers of this world. This prayer is hopeful, expecting the kingdom of God to come in fullness with Christ on the throne. This prayer is compassionate, teaching us to call God our Father and depend on him for our every meal. This prayer is reverent, showing that nothing is more sacred than the name of God. And this prayer is good news, reminding each of us that God forgives sin and delivers us from the powers of darkness. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, the one who is the creator of heaven and earth, the one who sustains life, the one who is sovereign, all-knowing, never changing, without sin and holy, we come before you today, we acknowledge that you're good, that you're loving, that you're kind. We acknowledge that there's nothing good in of ourselves. We're rebellious, sinful, broken people who've rebelled against you, Lord. Each have turned our, our own way. Would you forgive us? Lord, would you Renew, Lord, our faith in who you are. Not what this world says about who you are, but what your word reveals to us. May we rightly acknowledge who you are and, and see our need for you. Thank you, Father, for showing us your love to the person of your son, Jesus. And by the power of your spirit, awakening our eyes and changing our hearts and giving us the ears to hear that we could respond. May we walk with you fully trusting that you're a good father who has our best interests in mind. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.